0: Well, friends, once again, it's wonderful to see all of you here. So glad that you're worshiping with us this morning as we seems like we're kicking off summer. Our students have either graduated or finished their respective grades. So we should be bright eyed and bushy tailed and and ready to go. So glad to have you all here and glad that we are entering our third week in the book of Revelation. Revelation. An interesting book, a book that maybe we don't hear taught or preached on very much, but a wonderful book nonetheless. Um, And Revelation is, as its name indicates, a revealing. The Greek word is apocalypsis. It means bringing something to the light that was previously hidden or disclosing something that was secret. And this past week at Providence, we had our own revelation something that was secret something that had been previously disclosed that was brought out into the light and for one I'm thankful that it was on on Wednesday I I had a troubling email from uh, the um, office manager of our landscaper complete with three pictures and the office manager indicated that the green juniper shrubs by the gate on Royal had been damaged significantly and it was not a byproduct of their work, that they had nothing to do with this, and that in their kind of weekly overview of our property, they had discovered this and wanted, wanted to bring it to our attention immediately with four pictures. And it was not a pretty picture. It's fair to say the bushes had been mauled. Um, it seemed that they had been vandalized, and so I kind of did my own forensic analysis on these pictures. And um, it's hard to even describe how much the branches of these juniper shrubs had been had been butchered and mauled, vandalized, destroyed—you whatever words you want to choose. But I couldn't find tire tracks that were leading up to the bush. And that didn't make sense to me because honestly, honestly, it seemed like a car had run off the road and run into the bushes. Branches were everywhere. They, they focused in on one branch in particular. It's like somebody was taking out their anger against the church, and it was very troubling. So I thought about this and just considered who this might be. I don't know anybody has any, who has anything against the church at this point. So I started to walk down the hall, and I noticed that someone in our office kind of had an interesting grin on his face. Turns out that Nate Libby is a much better pastor than he is a landscaper, okay? (laughs) Apparently, the gate would not open, okay? The gate over here would not open. And Nate just happened to have a chainsaw in his car, (laughs) also a very troubling fact. Nate took out said chainsaw, and to say he was less than careful with his pruning would be an understatement. And he says, look, I've got an explanation. He said, something called me away before I could finish the job. I was like, oh, you're finished with the job. (laughs) You are now excused from any kind of landscaping or pruning. So that was our revelation this week. I encourage you if you need any landscaping done, do not call Nate Libby. Wonderful pastor. Heard your sermon last week. was excellent. Let's stick to that lane, okay? <laughs> Revelation. An unveiling. A revealing. And we learned a couple weeks ago what the main message of Revelation is. When everything is said and done, what is the message of revelation what is revealed at the end that God is going to win that he is going to defeat all of his and all of our enemies and vindicate his church and care for his people we find out that he wrote a letter to seven churches in the area of Asia Minor that's modern-day Turkey and these seven letters the message to the seven letters That message applies to the church of every age. And so Nate chose two churches to focus on from Revelation chapter 2. This morning we're going to cover two more churches, Philadelphia and Laodicea, from chapter 3. As we see what the Holy Spirit says to these churches in Revelation 3, we'll see what he says to our church as well. So please stand for the reading of God's word as we continue our summer series through Revelation. Remember beloved these are the very written words of God written for you and written for me Revelation chapter 3 verse 7 And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write the words of the holy one the true one who has the key of David who opens and no one will shut who shuts and no one opens I know your works That I have loved you because you have kept my word about patient endurance I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on earth I am coming soon hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown the one who conquers I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God never shall he go out of it and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, Revelation 3, 14 through 22. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched." pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich in white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent behold i stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door i will come into him and eat with him and he with me the one who conquers i will grant him to sit with me on my throne as i also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says To the churches. Indeed, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever, and may he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Okay, just a couple preliminary notes, some reminders before we begin. Remember, Revelation is a very specific genre in the Bible, it's referred to as apocalyptic literature, it's highly symbolical. And um, there are various interpretations which we won't review again today, but basically this is the final word of the Holy Spirit to His church through the Bible that would ever be written. So the Bible or the canon, the rule of God's law would be closed and finished when Revelation was ended. And it was an encouragement to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Seven represents completion and fullness. And the letters to the seven churches, the encouragements, the admonitions, they apply not only to those seven churches, but to the church in every age. And so this morning, first, we're going to look in chapter three at the Lord's words to the church of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Let's look at our text, verse seven this provides the context this is going to give us some information about what's going on in Philadelphia and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia now just briefly it's unclear whether the angel here this is being commissioned to an angel of the Church of Philadelphia is this like an angel a celestial being or the Greek word angelos could also just mean messenger could mean preacher this letter could be communicated to the preacher of Philadelphia to then share with the church there. At any rate, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write this. The words of the Holy One, the true one, the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Look at verses 8 and 9 quickly. I know your works, he says, of the Philadelphians. Behold, I have set before you, meaning the church in Philadelphia, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, yet, in spite of that, you have kept my word, and you've not denied my name. Okay, so what is this about opening doors, shutting doors, having keys? What is this refer to? Well, it's fascinating. Like I mentioned a couple of weeks ago... There are so many Old Testament concepts, passages, circumstances that are alluded to in the book of Revelation. It's really an expression, an unfolding, an unveiling of the true depth and intention of the Old Testament. This is no exception. So the first century Jews who would have been reading this in circa 96 A.D. So this is being written by you know who. It would have been the old venerable beloved disciple one of the inner three of the Lord Jesus the inner three were who Peter James I knew Miss Heath would know and John the beloved disciple and so John is communicating this these words there's these Old Testament allusions in the Old Testament if you go back to Isaiah 22 Very interestingly, it's playing off Isaiah 22. In the Old Testament, you couldn't just walk into the throne room of the king. That would not have been allowed under any circumstances. The king had a palace administrator. Think of him like a prime minister. In Isaiah, Shebna had been the palace administrator, the steward of the house, if you will, and he was not doing a good job, God replaced him with a man named Eliakim. And the Lord said to Eliakim, I'm giving you the key of David. In other words, only through Eliakim could people get access to David, to David's court, to David's ear, to David's disposition, only through Eliakim. We're finding out here in the New Covenant who is the true key of David. The Lord Jesus Christ he's the key of David he has the key to the throne room in heaven only the Lord Jesus gives us access to God the Father what does Jesus say in John 14 6 I am what the way the truth and the life no one comes to the Father but through me Jesus said into this sheep hole where my sheep are I am the door there's only one way in and it is through me." Why is that encouragement here, if you read the passage? Why this particular encouragement? It's because the Christians in the small little community in Laodicea were being persecuted. They were being persecuted by a local Jewish synagogue that the Lord refers to unflatteringly as what? A synagogue of what? A synagogue of Satan that seems pretty hard pretty harsh pretty direct but what these Jews were saying these were not Messianic Jews these were cultural Jews these were ethnic Jews who had rejected Jesus and Messiah so they were worshiping God in their cultural way that they had for hundreds of years and what they were saying to these Christians in Philadelphia was we are the people of God we have the keys of David, we have access to the Lord, and you do not. Jesus is not the Messiah, he's not the way to heaven, he's not the one we should be waiting for, we are the people of God. And so where they were these, these ethnic, cultural Jews who by virtue of being sons and daughters of Abraham, they thought they were in. And so they were oppressing and persecuting this small little community in Philadelphia because I know this sounds interesting, but do you know how Christians were worshiping all over the Roman Empire in 96 AD? Oftentimes they were going to the synagogue on Saturday and worshiping as they always had because in their mind they were filtering the Old Testament Through Christ and they would join the Jews in synagogue worship and then on Sunday morning or what we would call Saturday evening which would have been their Sunday morning they would worship with their Christian community and so they were consistently um, communing with the cultural Jews of their day and they were being oppressed they were being discouraged they were small and there was a large congregation in the synagogue of Jewish believers who did not trust in the Lord Jesus. And the Lord wanted to encourage them. Look at verses 10 through 13. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance. So this is going to be the exact opposite of Laodicea who comes after it. Laodicea who was wealthy, affluent, well cared for, and they're lukewarm. This little church which is persecuted and small and poor and yet despite that they had persevered and they had trusted the Lord and they were being commended and now they're being rewarded verse 10 despite this opposition because you have kept my word about patient endurance I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world To try those who dwell on the earth I am coming soon okay now what does this mean I'm gonna keep you from the trial that's coming on the whole world I'm coming soon okay to what did Jesus compare the second coming he said I'm coming like what like a thief in the night and in his humanity he said the father knows not even the son knows in his humanity Every generation of the Lord's people has to live as if this hour could be the end. The Lord could come at any time. And so he's telling these Philadelphia Christians, okay, the way we understand this is on that day, when God comes back in power and glory, I will preserve you. I will protect you. I will save you from the final judgment. I'm coming soon. Every generation should feel the, um, the looming possibility that Jesus could come back at any moment. And he's encouraging them. When he comes back to judge the world, you will not be subject to that same judgment. Look at verse 12. The one who conquers, that's another way of saying persevering endeavoring to trust in jesus and to cling to him your whole life the one who conquers i will make him a pillar in the temple of my god this was an area with a lot of seismic activity lots of earthquakes and to be a pillar in the temple that implies being a fixture permanence okay the lord goes on to say never shall he go out of it this is an assurance of salvation and I will write on him the name of my God. These wonderful Philadelphians who were persevering, endeavoring in their trust of Jesus, and the name of the city of my God, the New Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. They'll bear this name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. To the churches. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will preserve you. I will keep you from that great trial. You're a pillar in the temple. You'll have my name put on you. You are my treasured possession. Nobody can close the door that I've opened for you. And these secular cultural Jews, and they can't enter except through the door that the Lord Jesus opens. Now, this is relevant in a number of ways. What is it that we often feel like closes the door, the proverbial door to glory? If you're like me, sometimes you can wonder, is there any way the Lord could forgive this sin or that sin? You know, all of us sometimes take stock of our life, and we know that we have done things that we deeply regret, things that we're not proud of, things that we're very ashamed of. You know, often people struggle with assurance of salvation. Will the door of heaven be open to me? Will my sinfulness, will my guilt keep it shut? There is nothing that you or I can do to shut that door. Not our sinfulness, nothing that we have done. The Lord Jesus Christ, who lived and died, the resurrected one, has the key of David, and nothing can shut. What he has opened. If you are trusting in him, it says that he has the key of David. If you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ by grace through faith, my brother in law's father, Jay Owens, we just prayed for him in the pastoral prayer. I had the sacred privilege, I got called on Friday afternoon out of nowhere. I got a call from my brother in law and said, would you pray for my father? The whole family was there. In just a few hours, his father would go to glory. His father loved the Lord Jesus. I had the privilege of praying with that man before he was taken into the very presence of God. And I told him, and and, and oftentimes, even though people are very hopeful, that can also be a time where people are a little overwhelmed. This is the moment. This is the hour. I was like Jay the Lord Jesus loves you you've trusted in him you know he's your Lord and Savior go you have loved your family well enter into the joy of your father's presence and in just a few hours he passed away no one can shut the door that the Lord Jesus Christ has opened nothing that you've done And nothing that I've done, there's nothing the culture can do to stop the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like you see, you read in the news all the time. Is it not remarkable what's happening in our culture faster than we ever thought? I mean, seriously, when you read the paper, it is is almost impossible to believe what is happening and the the hostility and, and enmity that's being directed toward believers. Believers who just... Love Jesus and have a particular view of Christ and his gospel. No one can shut the door. No one can shut the door that the Lord Jesus Christ has opened. Let's go to the church at Laodicea. Verses 14 through 22. This is interesting and very convicting, very timely. The context of this is verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write this. The words of the amen, you know, amen is like, let it be, like, like it's a punctuation point, like, like, I believe this is going to happen, so be it. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. So whereas these Laodiceans were not being faithful and true witnesses, they were not persevering. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Amen the final Amen the faithful and true witness he's the beginning of God's creation he's the preeminent one that's saying he has the prerogatives of God he is God what does he have to say to the Laodiceans verse 15 I know your works you are neither cold nor hot would that you were either cold or hot so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing, here's a great irony, that you are actually wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So let's stop there for a minute. What is the context of this? The church of Laodicea was a very wealthy affluent church a very wealthy place in fact when Laodicea was um, laid low by at least two earthquakes Rome offered to help and fund the rebuilding and Laodicea told Rome no thank you we don't need it we're very self-sufficient we have enough resources the city of Laodicea in fact we have enough money to rebuild our city and we can help the surrounding cities and so what scholars think is that the church of Laodicea, over a period of 30 years, had begun to kind of internalize and mirror the attitude of the city. And the great irony of it was, in their self-sufficiency, in their independence, their feeling that they were okay, they had all that they needed, what in fact was the case? Spiritually, what does the text indicate about them? Says they were wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Is that not the irony? Those who don't know their need, those who are self reliant, are the ones who are in absolute desperate need of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Does anybody know what um, this year is in terms of the PCA? Little little trivia. If you're falling asleep, maybe we can wake up a little bit. Okay, Lydia, very good. I'm sure you all knew that. This is the 50th anniversary of the Presbyterian Church in America, which is a wonderful thing. What is the context of the origin and birth of the Presbyterian Church in America back at the end of 1973, beginning of 1974, the context of that was cultural Christianity had so overtaken the large National Presbyterian Church, so many of the reforms of the gospel-believing Presbyterians had been thwarted, that when the forefathers of our denomination felt like they had done all they could do. They set out to form a new gospel-preaching Presbyterian church. I think that the church in Laodicea was perhaps one of the first New Covenant expressions of what we might call cultural Christianity, or what we might call mainline Christianity. So perhaps you've ever referred, who here has ever heard the term mainline church? I bet you don't know. It's not that I'm so smart. I really didn't know either. But anyway, I bet you don't know where that term comes from. Where does the term mainline church come from? Say it again. Unfortunately, Nate knows. Okay. It comes from a wealthy neighborhood in Philadelphia called the Main Line. And there were these big steeple churches in this neighborhood, the big Main Line, Presbyterian, Methodist, Episcopal, Baptist, that had shifted to the left theologically. Sadly, modernism and kind of theological liberalism in the United States do you, knew, do you know where it took a foothold first? In the Presbyterian church, largely. It was in the Presbyterian church that kind of a, a drifting away from the core truths of the gospel started. So today, if somebody calls you a fundamentalist, is that a, is that a compliment or is that a pejorative term? It's a negative. But back in the early 1900s, these five fundamentals of the truth of the Scriptures, the virgin birth and deity of Christ, the doctrine of the atonement, substitutionary atonement, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, and the authenticity of the miracles of Jesus. I mean, that seems like pretty straightforward, right? I mean, we're not getting into the weeds. Is that not like the the basics of Christianity? Well, for a number of years, those fundamentals had been a requirement to get ordained in the Presbyterian Church. And then, I'm sorry to give you this history lesson, but then there was an affirmation, an Auburn affirmation, an affirmation that came forward and said, no, we don't want to do that. We shouldn't have to have our ministers affirm these fundamentals. Can you believe it? And so the church began to drift from the very core. Of the gospel of Jesus Christ and thus the mainline movement was born no church is immune from the temptations of the mainline no church is immune from trusting in its wealth and its self-sufficiency you know in its means its education its background Whatever, these people thought they were rich, but they were incredibly poor and wretched and pitiable. The irony of the Christian life, as we've said over and over and over and over and over and over, but it needs to always be fresh and new, the irony of the Christian life. How do you know if you're growing spiritually? You know if you're growing spiritually if you know your need. If you are aware of just how sinful you are the irony of the Christian life is the more you know your need the more you see your sin more clearly the more you can't believe that Jesus that his blood and righteousness would be efficacious for someone like you that is a mark of belief Because it's not until we understand we bring nothing to the table except our sin, and more than anything else in this life, we need the blood and righteousness of Jesus. As the Holy Spirit convicts us and wells up in our heart an awareness of our need, and as we trust in Jesus, that's the way spiritual health it's actually the way down is the way up but these Laodiceans they didn't see it and so in verse 18 the Lord says I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich in white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes that you may see those whom i love i reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent so the believers that were there he's encouraging it's because i love you i'm saying these things to you i i discipline those i love and care for and he extends an invitation to the church of the main line here at the end You probably are very familiar with these verses at the end of Revelation chapter 3. Do you know who popularized these words in evangelicalism in the 20th century? Does anybody know who made these words very popular and thankfully he did? A man from my neck of the woods, Billy Graham. And he would preach these revivals all over the world. And he would say these words, and he was preaching in the context of a country where, really, for the majority of his ministry, there wasn't a PCA. There weren't evangelical, Jesus-loving, gospel-preaching churches nearly to the degree that there are today. And Billy Graham would appeal to people all over the world, people who were members of churches, and he would say this, verse 20, You know, and I was one of those people. I was born and raised in the PCUSA. I was a a young man who had been to church almost every week of my life, and I was as lost as you could be when the Holy Spirit of the living God came to me in college. And it were words like this that changed my heart. The Lord Jesus says this not only to the church of Laodicea, the Holy Spirit lovingly, through Jesus, says it to us. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, and it doesn't matter what you have done or what I have done. You can think of the darkest, blackest, vilest, most heinous and offensive thing. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. And eat with him and he with me the one who conquers the one who perseveres I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne he who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches to the cultural Christian it's a call to come open the door Open the door to your heart. I will come in and dine with you and eat with you and sup with you and relate to you. And for believers who are perhaps lukewarm, what does that mean? That means apathetic or indifferent. If you feel like you're kind of stuck, you know, in your spiritual walk, you know, it's hard to do devotions. It's hard to read God's word. It's hard to show interest. I encourage you, pray this prayer. The Lord Jesus Christ, by His Spirit, will honor it. He's knocking at the door of your heart. All you have to do is open it to Him, and He will come in and love you and relate with you and care for you and provide for you. Friends, that was incredible hope to the churches in Philadelphia and Laodicea, and it's incredibly encouraging and comforting to Providence Presbyterian Church in the 21st century. Amen? Amen. Pray with me. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for these amazing passages, these glorious passages. Father, we know that as you speak through the Lord Jesus via the power of your Holy Spirit to the seven churches of Asia Minor, that you speak to us in the 21st century, Father, Lord, we thank you for the encouragement that we have gleaned from these passages, that the door you have opened through the finished work of your son, the Lord Jesus, who possesses the keys of David, that the door you open through him will never be shut to those who trust in him. Help us to believe that and live in light of it. And Father, help us to hear the sober admonition to the church in Laodicea who had grown lukewarm apathetic and indifferent Holy Spirit of the Living God convict us give us a passion and a desire to know the Lord Jesus Christ and make him known Holy Spirit of the Living God enable us to open this door on which the Lord Jesus Christ is knocking. Help us to enjoy fellowship and relationship and new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for doing this for those churches and for ours. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen and amen.